0: In the midst of a bipolar manic episode, I quit my high-end hotel concierge job and I began wandering the streets day and night, barefoot in my kimono, telepathically communicating with the sun and moon. Mania begins beautifully, like inside a Van Gogh painting, but psychosis, not eating, not sleeping takes its toll. It's like being ripped from earth, trapped in the pages of Dante's Inferno. My friend of 15 years has left me a number of messages which I have not returned. She goes out looking for me in my neighborhood, in my Los Angeles neighborhood, and she finds me filthy, layered in the soot of the city and smelling like onion and trash, lying down in the middle of traffic. She convinces me to go with her to her apartment where she makes me chamomile tea with honey. She runs a bath running the water till it's perfectly warm. She lathers a sponge and gently washes my body, carefully cuts and cleans under my fingernails and tenderly shampoos and combs my matted hair. She treats me like I am her treasured child because that's what you do for people you love.
1: Hey there, and welcome to Grit True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True Stories personal stories, grit stories. We are in the middle of season number three dedicated to grit talks and the best of and today, we have the best of February's 99-second story slam. You have already heard one story by Erica Bloomfield, and you will hear six more by Andrew Shelfo, Carolyn Thornlow, Tracy Sterin, Brian Nassimak, Kelly Spillman, and one more from Erica, our winner. Check the show notes for upcoming events, including the Mental Health Happyish Hour, which is an open mic, and Disco Flash which is story and improv and music. It's a lot of fun. I hope you can join us for one or both of those events, and we will have another 99-second Story Slam in early April. If you want to help us out in addition to listening, which we really appreciate, let folks know about the podcast. You can share it on social media, and if you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing helps a lot. Finally, as you listen to these 99-second stories, see what works for you, see what you like, see what resonates. And when you are crafting or telling your stories, whether they're 99 seconds or shorter or longer, do your best to use some of this stuff if your goal is to make your stories more engaging or more relatable or more memorable or all of those things. Okay,
2: without further ado, let's dive in. As a little kid, I would go to church every Sunday. I liked the magic that I saw during the Sunday Mass. And I'm not even talking about the hocus pocus with the bread and the wine. It's the candles. It's the incense. It's the ornate robes. It was the pageantry. It's what I would focus on while the priest blathered on. And then I got a little bit older and I understood the message that the priest was giving. And I'm struck by how dirty I am. I had to get baptized and cleansed of original sin. And then I had to go to confession every Saturday to get cleansed. And then every time I would go into the church, I would have to get cleansed by the holy water. It's a lot of work. In high school, I got a job as a driver for a flower shop. And and one Saturday morning, I walk into work, and I find a bundle of palms, palms sitting on the dirty concrete floor. It's my first delivery of the day. I'm to deliver them to the church so that the next day, they can distribute them for Palm Sunday. It never occurred to me that the palms on Palm Sunday would be delivered by a kid like me, Jesus, God, the bishop. Sure. But me, it just didn't make sense. That's crazy. I mean, this had to be some kind of mistake. I got this job because the guy before me, he was found asleep with the delivery car running and a bag of pot on the dashboard. And he was the last guy to deliver palms to the church for Palm Sunday. My boss sees my hesitation. Don't worry. They don't become official until they're blessed by a priest. I don't need the church to be perfect. But is it too much to ask that they're better than me? If the church isn't better than me, what do I need it for? The magic doesn't seem so magic anymore.
3: Single a really long time. And it doesn't mean that I haven't tried to meet somebody. I tried all of the dating apps. I invested heavily and not only money, but bandwidth, time, attention, heart. And I concluded that there are a lot of really uncool people in the dating universe. Like, do not send me a picture of your unzipped pants. It's just too many uncool people in the dating universe. So I'm done. I quit. Except for about a month ago, Facebook pinged me and said, oh, we have this free dating app, just click. Okay, easy enough, I click. And I'm getting texts, more texts than I ever got on any of those paid apps. So now I have choice and I'm looking for more local people and see this guy. Nice, you know, headshot. And we start texting back and forth. And it turns out that he's a member of the kayak club that I had just joined that summer. So I said to him, I texted, how come I haven't seen you at the club? And he said, he responded back uh, He said, oh, if, if you saw me there, you would remember me. I'm the one with no legs. And I never texted back to this day. I still haven't texted back. Proving my point that there are a lot of uncool people in the dating universe and I think I'm one of them.
4: surprised by the friend requests. All the relatives that I hadn't talked to in over 10 years because of an emotionally abusive childhood found me almost the minute I joined Facebook. And so I ignored them all, but two relatives, cousins, a mother and daughter, Sherry and Melissa, were particularly persistent. They sent me messages that said things like, we've missed you and we've looked for you for so long and we just want you to be a member of the family again. And so I wasn't sure if I trusted their motives, but I relented with one stipulation. I said, anything that I say to you, I would rather you not report to other members of the family. And they said, we're barely in touch with anybody else in the family because we don't like them either. And so I relented and I started exchanging messages with them. They wanted to get together in person, but I said, I'm just not ready for that yet. And I still really didn't trust their motives. So we started to exchange messages. Dozens of messages, volumes of information, and they persisted they wanted to get together in person. And I just didn't trust them and I wasn't ready to do it. But after six years, I finally agreed. I thought they're, they're in this for the long haul. And we got together for a lovely brunch. We talked and laughed and hung on each other for hours. And they told me how they couldn't wait to invite me to holidays and family barbecues. And I left with the warm feeling of being part of a family again. And then I never heard from either of them ever again
1: thank you andrew carolyn and tracy appreciate those 99 second stories next up brian kelly and one more from erica our
5: champion in february enjoy i'm 35 years old i'm in toronto it's the middle of winter i've got to get out of here so i get on a charter to acapulco mexico It's Wednesday afternoon. Most of the people from the resort are on the beach because six of us are on our knees with our hands behind our back because we've entered the pie-eating competition. Now, I'm no athlete, but I know how to eat. And being the only Canadian in the competition, I'm thinking, this is my Olympics. And I know I can beat most of these guys, except the guy next to me is really huge. He's from the U.S. I call him Gorgo. They bring out a table with the six pies. The only rule is we cannot use our hands. They call, count us down. Three, two, one. The whistle goes. We put our faces in the pie. I'm eating away. I look at Gorgo. He's ahead of me. I don't know what to do. Then I figure it out. I smash my, pace into the pie, my face into the pie. There's meringue everywhere, especially in my mouth. And then I start to eat all of the crust. I finish on time. I win. The judge comes over to me. He says, you are the winner. He gives me my gold medal. Well, it's a bottle of tequila. And all the people from my charter are screaming and applause. I've got tears in my eyes because of the meringue. I decide, well, that's about it. I'm not going to get into another competition because I decide I want to retire undefeated. And I've got my gold medal in Olympic eating.
6: 11th grade biology class, it's the day of dissection. Coach Cooper brings in a human body for us to dissect. Now, Coach Cooper had no formal training in biology. He wasn't even actually a coach. He was a substitute PE teacher. And I was the only student in the class to start interrogating Coach Cooper, where did you get this cadaver? Does his family know he's here and that we're about to cut into him? And Coach Cooper just yells, shut it, Spillman, shut up. So he hands out scalpels only to the boys in the class. And they start poking at the cadaver Fred like he's some little cat. I realize, looking at this, wait a minute, if I can get in on this, this might get me into med school if I've already been able to dissect a human. So I asked coach Cooper, give me a scalpel. And he goes, no, only boys can do it. The girls watch. And I was just livid. And I go, coach Cooper, put me in. I have the highest grade in the class. It's 1991. Girls can do everything boys can do. And he, he says, you got one shot. I was so excited. I grabbed the scalpel, cutting my thumb and putting back women 30 years in Jacksonville, Florida.
0: I just learned that a friend had died suddenly and I am feeling very sad but I'm at the elementary school where I work as a tutor and I have a new student that day and I have to keep it together I'm standing just outside my classroom door when I see this little peanut of a girl skipping down the hallway a happy sight a child skipping they're so carefree and unburdened and I am immediately struck by my student Anna's intent thirst for knowledge. It's as though it is her last day to learn. When we take a break, Anna shares with me, you know, I have a disease and I almost died, but my mom gave me half her liver and I survived. Teacher, do you believe in heaven? which I don't, but that is not the answer she needs. And I don't like to lie to my students and she's waiting. And what comes to me is this experience I had in an art installation. And I tell her about it, how there were these endless tiny white lights surrounding me. I was ensconced in them and these mirrors and my own image became smaller and smaller and smaller until I was one of those tiny lights. And as I explain to Anna, I'm remembering the exquisite peace that had come over me in that room. And I tell her, yes, I suppose I do. And Anna says, thank goodness. And I say, yes, thank goodness.
1: As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to our storytellers, Erica, Andrew, Carolyn, Tracy, Brian, and Kelly. Check the show notes for upcoming events, including the Mental Health Happyish Hour, Disco Flash. We will have another 99-second slam in the beginning of April, so stay tuned for that. That is all for episode number 72. Boom.